It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two thieves with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you, who are going to destroy the temple and build it again in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. The same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from this cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults at him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And then Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar. They put it on a staff and they offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, they said. With a loud voice, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women who were watching from a distance, among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there and some watching these events from a distance. This is where we find ourselves in this story. Watching, looking from a distance. The linear distance is at least 10,000 miles. The chronological distance, at least 20 centuries. We find ourselves standing here, watching, wondering. In those verses I just read, I you discover at least 12 different perspectives, not including our own. All of them seeing these events through the filter of their own lives, their own hopes and failures. Perspective matters. There's more than one way to see and experience this day. Because what happens here is big enough for all of us. How do you see these events? And don't confuse your answer with how you've been told to see these events. Some standing at a distance maybe need to move closer. And some so close, maybe they need the context of distance to appreciate everything else that's happening. How do we understand a day like this when there's just so many different ways of seeing it? Maybe the answer is we need to see it together and appreciate its size and diversity. Maybe it isn't really complicated. Maybe the simplicity of it just overwhelms us. I remember as a child, this was not my favorite service. It was the one I prayed to God that I would wake up with chicken pox or the mumps, anything. I just, I just didn't want to go. You see, at 10 years old, I needed someone else to explain this day to me, but I don't know if this day can be explained as much as it needs to be experienced after witnessing the life of Jesus. As a child, Easter came out of the blue after Christmas and my struggle with this sacred holiday wasn't made any better with the explanations from the adults in my life. I needed to witness it from a distance myself. 
to see the context, to see the bigger picture. I needed to, to see it through the eyes of Aaron. I needed someone to say, Aaron, what do you see? I needed to follow Jesus here to understand its significance. And I think that's why it's so confusing for so many, because some Christians begin by bringing people here. I've heard the street preachers. It all starts with the cross. But you can't start with the cross and understand what it's about. Contrary to the bumper sticker, Jesus wasn't born to die. He was born to live. Death was part of it. To truly understand the power of Good Friday, you have to follow Jesus here. You have to listen and watch his life and message. Then you realize that him giving his life was the embodiment of all that he taught. A love so big, so grand, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. This was not meant to change God's heart towards us. This act was meant to change our hearts about God. And even after witnessing it, it takes time to process. I think that's the part that's missing now. No one processes. We're just brought to the foot of the cross while someone explains the mystery away and, and then this day becomes about math instead of beauty. I've recently had a room full of adults ask me to explain Easter. They'd all grown up with a mainstream religious experience, but still they were so confused as to what it was supposed to be about. So I asked them at first what they remember. Their answers all resonated with shame and guilt. The words love and forgiveness just weren't on the list. So I just told them the story of Jesus. I asked them to tell me their thoughts instead of me telling the story and explaining it. It was a sobering exercise. Everybody saw it from their own perspective. Some stood at a distance, some like the centurion standing so close, others like the thief on the cross beside Jesus, still others standing from a distance and others still afraid of the story itself. Like the disciples, hiding from the truth of what they're discovering. I think that the events of Good Friday are not only bigger than we've come to understand. I think Good Friday is better than what we can understand. Perhaps it's only complicated if we want it to be. These events that unfolded 2,000 years ago are bigger than the words that hold it to paper. There isn't one way to tell this story. We have four different gospel accounts, each one so radically different. Try reading a different, try reading the account from Mark, and then read it from John's telling, and then read Luke, and then chase it down with Matthew's account. They are all so unique. We're introduced to new characters in each story, new perspectives. And within each account, all these multitude of views. Read through them and count all the different ways people saw Jesus. The story can't be contained in one person's telling. That's why we have four Gospels. It needs a community to flesh it out. It needs both believers and seekers to speak of its beauty. It is way more intimate and personal. Something that the older you get, the longer you think about, you realize the less you know and the more it can mean. It's a conundrum. Good Friday is a way, a day that we recognize God in our own suffering, in our struggle, because he chooses to be there. We recognize sacrifice and love in this story in ways that are uncomfortable for us to witness. And I am filled with questions. Does Jesus dying on the cross merely save us from our failures and shortcomings, or does it save us from God's wrath as some teach? 
But what kind of God would he be if from him we need saving? And if Jesus paid a price for our sins, then is it really forgiveness or is it a transaction? Or did Jesus give his life because of love and we can be forgiven because it's God's choice to make and he made it? And does that inspire us to do the same? Can we forgive like this? Can we sacrifice ourselves so that others can see genuine love? Is that what we see in this old story? Some believe that ultimately we are incapable of good. They commemorate on this day a reminder of our own unworthiness. Another opposing view is more about empowerment, that, that what we see in this day is our infinite value. The cross reminds us of this. How can we see so many different things? I live with this tension that now convicts me that our life is a gift and the best way to appreciate the giver of this gift is to live it to its full potential, demonstrating that what has been shown to me in moments like Good Friday has been and can be reproduced in me. Love, forgiveness, generosity, grace, even sacrifice. I've had to fight what I thought was the only way to see this day, one that constantly reminds me of all that's wrong with me. And I've come to discover that the cross is not only bigger than that, it's better. I was raised to understand this day in a singular story. Jesus died for my sins. And you can imagine my horror as an eight-year-old wondering what I had done that would demand another's death. But even as an adult, I still struggled with that singular view. I have wasted hours debating those who tried to convince me that I'm worthless. While I tried to convince them that they are of infinite value. Them trying to tell me that all have sinned and fallen short, and me trying to remind them that God didn't come into the world to condemn it, but because of love? I've realized that perhaps we're just standing in different places. And perhaps what Jesus does here is big enough to be what we all need when we need it. What if this day is big enough for all of us? If you're struggling with the perspective that you've been given, may I suggest you move? Go stand with the centurion close enough to hear the interaction with the thief crucified with Christ, or go stand with the women at a distance so you can see the bigger picture, understand the context. And like the followers of Jesus who gathered after these events on that dark Holy Saturday, hiding in shock and disbelief, realizing more was happening than any one person could describe, all the perspectives brought together, the picture began to unfold. Jesus rescues us from an image of God that's not worth worshiping. And he replaces it with an image of God that suffers for us and with us, even when it's because of us. It seems preposterous, insulting, hard to watch, but this love is relentlessly beautiful. What if the cross was everything standing between you and a more whole life, but not as an obstacle as the way? So look at the cross and find what you need it to be. Your view of this moment influences your perspective of God and then in turn changes your own perspective of yourself. So listen, whatever you need this day to be, it already is. And it is for you. If you don't need your sins to die on this cross, what do you need to die? Your ego, your regrets, maybe other people's sins done to you? Lies, fears, failures. Perhaps you have just found yourself sacrificed by those you've trusted, that you've loved. A God who would die for you will die with you in the hope of transformation and redemption. 
But let me be clear about Good Friday. This isn't a free-for-all where we can decide what we want it to be, what we want it to mean. Please don't misunderstand me. This isn't about seeing what you want and then taking what you want. This is an uncomfortable day, if we're honest. Our first inclination is to look away. It is about seeing in this act all that we need, not that we want. It's about seeing what we need and receiving it, accepting it, letting it transform us. So take the time to look deep inside, to ask God in this moment, what does this mean for me? What can it mean from me? And then act on what you discover. It can be a sobering moment, and it should be. It's a sobering day. And in responding to that divine voice in our hearts, we make it a Good Friday. A very Good Friday. God, we are thankful for the mystery of what this day is. We choose not to get lost in lengthy arguments or discussions to turn this act of love and grace into a theology. Instead, we will let it be love. And may it not just be love for us. May it turn into love in us. Open our eyes to see what we need to see. Open our hands and hearts to receive what we need to receive that only you can offer. And may what you have done for us happen in us and in turn through us. Overwhelm us with your divine love to overflowing.